I will try to eat the meat from whatever I've skinned. What's happening? What have I done? Bicycle. Bicycle. The future for me looks very bright and very interesting, actually. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Two golden tickets to Cloud9, baby. You should get out of here. But I guess this is goodbye. Boom! What's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about Hacking Hollywood, the stories of science. We have Carrie Cookerl joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on, Carrie. I'm so excited. Yes, yes. You've been a huge inspiration to me and so many others. Raw Science TV and Raw Science Film Festival have been taking off. I've been so grateful to have been a part of it the last two years. And you've been doing it for almost six years now, five and a half years, building this up. Mm -hmm. uh, Carrie's also has 15 years in the medical device industry, most recently in product development on one of the first artificial pancreases. Carrie's also a massive promoter of STEAM education globally, and she's currently building the first high-tech engineering university in Afghanistan with Digital Citizen Fund. And a fun fact, she was also a professional ballet dancer for three years. <laughs> yes, yes. All of Carrie's links can be found below. Uh, highly recommend checking out Raw Science TV. We'll be talking about that in the, a, a really cool launch that's coming with that soon. Uh, Carrie, let's start things off with this big history perspective. We find ourselves as stewards of Earth. What is your current take on the state of humanity? Um, I, I would. I think the the current state is pretty much kind of existential crisis moment um, in terms of, you know, if we look back on some of the biggest uh, times of tumult in history, like World War II, it was really preceded by scientific discovery, and that was the discovery of the structure of DNA, and I believe that you know that that played a large role in the psychology of people at that time as well as strange things that happened in the world. And we're there again now, you know, years down the road um, in terms of like, what are humans? So we, we discovered the blueprint before World War II and now we're figuring out like, you know, AI and everything else, so. And then what do you feel is, are some of the solutions to the existential crises that we face? I think it's just um, education, yeah. basically. I mean, you know, it, Sounds like we're almost like teenagers where we have to learn things about ourselves and grow. <laughs> and so probably education and understanding what all these changes and new discoveries mean. And then what would be a good way to get the education across the world? And what would, what would that structure sort of be like? What, what are these little uh, nuggets of is it science is one of these big nuggets that are so needed across the world for us to band together on? Yep. Yeah, I think science is pretty, it's a universal language that people can understand. Um, you know, theoretically it's a, like, uni yeah, universal in the literal sense, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a thing that unifies people, it's a thing that's important um, in, in terms of our, like, global education, and storytelling and media plays a huge role in that, not only in just, um, you know, exposing and getting people interested and being curious, but also um, understanding the impact of science and tech in a pretty human way. Yeah, yeah, it's, if, if we can band together on science and 
progressing society that way, I think we have a massive potential to, yeah, to yep. fulfill in our long term. Now, and this is a lot of obviously what uh, you're super pushing forward into the world, which we're really excited to talk about. Let's, let's get into how Carrie became Carrie. How did this mm -hmm. all happen for you? Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess I, I started out as a professional ballet dancer when I was a kid. I, I went into that probably around close to 10 years old and it was my entire life and I didn't really think I would be or do anything else besides that um, and wasn't really interested but I, I had a, a great interest in science always you know from from the time I was a kid and but for me like leaving ballet and learning about engineering going to get an engineering degree and and being an engineer was like very transformative for me psychologically and also just in my life in general um, and then subsequently also getting the opportunity about it was like five a little over five years ago, um, I won a pitch competition at Caltech to, and it was Caltech and Idea Lab in Pasadena, to basically win money to start this first, you know, kind of like science online channel, and um, so that progression to engineering to, you know, guess being an entrepreneur was, you know, was huge for me. And take us to my, I think so many people are interested in knowing what it's like on a on a, a professional ballet level this is like really hardcore uh, body movement and and teach us about what goes into this yeah I mean it's definitely it's a huge um, amount of training that goes into it and you have to be like a hundred million percent focused on it day and night um, you know I, I spent summers away at like ballet boarding schools at different um, countries and we trained eight hours a day and had really strict rules. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Was there even a eating proper, like a nutrition? Oh yeah, well, there wasn't any nutritional guidance at one of the places, but they actually had like food cards. So, you know, you only ate a certain amount of food at lunch and you had to be in bed at nine o'clock and they actually sent someone around to make, sure. to make sure everyone was in bed. You couldn't wear makeup. Your hair had to be exactly the same. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah, and it was just like eight hours a day, training, training, training. Whoa. And I loved every single minute of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it was very, it was intense. Yeah. Know, for so sure. you were getting ready for mastery in ballet, and yes. then what was the plug that took you to engineering? Yeah. Well, there's a a practical part and a philosophical part, and the philosophical part is just it, it was extraordinary to me. And even since I was like a little kid, I would sit there and think like, how am I moving something? You know, how long does it take between when I decide and like to move my finger and the finger moves like? what's happening there mm -hmm. and you know it's just extremely interesting if you've mastered like physical movement like what 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 is behind all of that um and so there i was interested in science anyway but my older sister was studying electrical engineering at purdue and she inspired me a lot very cool so shout out shout out to my older sister and um and it's also very intense and rigorous to study electrical engineering so i was like yes i'm up for that <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so, and it's cool how you had the kind of the existential and philosophical uh, side of it too, plus the men, plus the guidance and mentorship sort of from a, yes. an older sister. Yes. Um, okay. But then how did it end up being, um, it, it was bioengineering. Yes. Yes. Well, one, because um, again, like this direct understanding of the human body and the electricity of the human body, you know, like if you sit there as a kid wondering how do you move your finger, then it becomes interesting later, you know, to learn about the heart and the electrical pulsing of the heart and things like that. But also, I ha we have a, heart, a large history of cancer in my family, 
Um, and my, my grandmother actually died young of cancer. She had both breast cancer and then later leukemia. And my, my young aunt had just been diagnosed. And so biomedical engineering seemed like a very direct way to do something positive. Okay, yes, yeah. and then there was that family influence of health care issues that yeah. also drove you into biomedical engineering. Interesting. Yeah. And then, um, okay, so as you get into that space, you know, even um, before the Caltech and raw science, before that, mm -hmm. what, was, what, were, what were you learning about health care and biomedical engineering teach us about? Like some of these profound realizations for you. Oh, just in terms of like my education, or yeah, in and, general? and in terms of also what in the like in this past fifteen years, because like the artificial pancreas is oh, such yeah. an incredible scientific advancement. Yeah, so I got to work on pretty amazing things. I mean, I just had a job. Like lots of people have jobs. It was a job, but um, it was amazing to work on some of the projects. Like the one in the last few years when I started raw science, I still like worked off and on in the medical device industry to kind of keep things moving. And um, one of them was on an artificial pancreas made of stem cells that basically you could insert this little pouch of stem cells under the skin in I think almost any place, like it wasn't you know, very specific. And um, it, it would basically start producing human insulin and regulating itself. And I didn't actually work on the development of the stem cell line that took like a 10 year process from the, all the scientists beforehand, but I worked in product development on you know, determining what um, was and was not working about the delivery system and how to move it forward in clinical trials. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a massive uh, part of our, of our future is being able to uh, live longer, healthier, happier, more creative, uh, less pathological disease developing lives. Yes, yeah. yes. Now, okay, so take us to Caltech, what was the competition at Caltech when you were pitching your, your like, there is no science TV, we yeah. need more science TV? It's super wild because I was actually, it, there's like an, there was like an incubator in Idea Lab that was funded through Idea Lab and Caltech and Limited Partners. And I was already actually working on a medical startup. I, was, I didn't found it, but I was on the team. And um, so there's like, two interesting parts to that. Number one is I'd been working on this medical startup. Long story short, um, the founder went to Burning Man for two weeks and then I was the only one there. And so one day this large $8 billion corporation that we wanted to actually work with and be partners with, um, the chairman and founder of that company and maybe like 10 key executives from the company showed up at Caltech in the, Cal in the tr tech transfer office and they needed to talk to someone, but no one was there but me. So I actually went and had to handle the meeting. Um, and because I have some experience in medical device, like I was able to handle the meeting. And, and long story short, we um, ended up having several meetings, getting a partnership, and they, they thought I handled that well. So they actually invited me to pitch and see if there was awesome. some, yeah. So that was kind of, neat and then um, I pitched but but the really wild thing is now you know we cover energy and all different topics and a lot in space and, and others um, and we want to do things related to distributing media you know in space yeah. and um, the founder of idea lab had and I had no idea that this was the case and I had not even met him before but but over a decade before he actually founded um, created the dot TV domain 
and he had the goal of later creating the first online entertainment channel that also integrated into space and the moon. And I literally had no idea, and we won. <laughs> so, because those elements were all integrated into it. In fact, there weren't really, people weren't really using .TV at the time at all. And because I think um, there were many limited partners that, that had to be pitched to, but I think that that probably also swayed their minds. Yeah, Ronnie is a fried chicken .TV himself <laughs> as well. Nice. Yeah, yeah. 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 This is the the dot TV. Interesting. And then yeah. the and then also it's cool how you know you stepped forward when there was the uh, the door open, the opportunity yes. open. You stepped forward, took a yes. leadership role, yep. succeeded at, at at what was taking this risk, and and then that catalyzed more open doors. Yes. For you, this is a very important process for for young people. That these that on the other side of some of our greatest adversities are our greatest treasures. So we got to really yep. go hard through those. And then um, also, as you're going through the process of doing the doing the um, the pitching and you're getting raw science set up, you're also doing this from a perspective of science communication, the importance of, I wanna, I wanna hit on this, yeah. like I wanna ring this bell a bunch of times because sure. we have a really good image here too for this, but you know, this is, this is like, Einstein was like a public intellectual. Yes. And he went even with Charlie Chaplin and was going around in science communication, yeah. art, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what has happened? Why is this not around anymore to the extent that it, to, to, why are we not celebrating the yeah. scientists and having them speak and inspire more? I don't know why we're not. Um, I grew up in Indiana and I love my, my people in Indiana, but it is the home of the KKK. I don't know if people are aware of this, but that is where the KKK developed. And it was, it's easy to see when you grow up in places where scientific thought might not be leading, that there's a problem. So I don't know why we're not celebrating it right now, but it was obvious to me that we're not, and it's been that way for a long time. It's not new. Um, at least, you know, in my lifetime, it's not new. So there is definitely a desire to change that part of our culture for a long time. And um, I, for fun, would just go around and film things, you know, on my own. I would spend all of my, that's how I funded before the channel, which I'm sure you're familiar with doing with, like I would just, I would spend all of my money in my vacation time going around the world. I met with Stephen Hawking. I met with the head of space research in Russia. For eight years, I would just do that um, because I'm intensely curious about things. But um, I, it was very important to me to like develop something that could be a vehicle for changing that part of our culture. And it had to go through like Hollywood because there's no, you know, we had to bust through Hollywood to do that. Yeah, yeah. We will have to, it's just, yeah. that's the only way. Yeah, well, that's one of the ways. There's there's this too, this is very grassroots, like simulation, yeah. <laughs> like, this is very grassroots, like we're not getting in the, into the Academy Awards, you know, what, and whatnot with, with this. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's yeah. many ways, but as we were talking about earlier, um, the grassroots parts can be some of the most important and, and yeah. influential aspect to all of it. And I can give the stats on, yeah. um, on that, but we, we often think, well, actually with the, with the change in media and really the advent of the internet, it has changed the landscape of media altogether. And so, you know, up until the time of the internet, it would cost maybe $100 million to create a national broadcast channel. 
And to do a local one on a city level would cost around 10 million. Yeah. And now any of us can do that. And it's yeah. and critical that we do. And so people often think lately, oh, we don't care about truth. We don't care about science or fact. That's not, that's not true. Media may not be doing the greatest job, but we people actually do. And so a lot of um, data is collected that, to be, to be honest, studio executives, they're not really aware, they're not looking for it, and they're not aware. But Open Slate and a lot of other organizations they, that do media analytics, it's shown that since 2013, um, if you look at all of the video channels on the entire internet, the top or like the top 300,000 channels. Including TV and internet Just stuff. internet. Just, just internet. Just internet. Stuff, okay. Because um, we already know that like the audiences for especially you know for millennials and younger is draining very quickly from TV yeah, to totally. like that's that's a dying carcass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so yeah. just focusing on internet, <laughs> like they don't they they're dying and they're like frogs boiling. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be mean, they're you know, like, or really, like how negative. Do, how do we do something crazy to keep us alive? Like yeah. there are R&D departments that are like trying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so focusing on internet. Um, Video channels online of the top like 300,000 channels, the analysis just shows that the most influential and engaged and consistent audiences. So that means like they're sharing, they're liking, but they're also like influencing, you know, behavior and they're you know all that. Um, they're knowledge seekers. So the yeah. knowledge seekers that are looking for news or information are much more engaged and influential and consistent than sports, entertainment, beauty, anything else. And in the knowledge seekers, three of the top 10 on the entire internet are independent grassroots physics channels. I love that, yeah. And they rank Shout higher out. than TED Talks, they rank higher than CNN, Bloomberg, Google, and Apple in terms of video. Yeah, shout out to Vsauce, Minute Physics, ASAP Science. Yes. Yeah, we mm -hmm. love these channels. We've had them bookmarked for so long watching. Yeah. And this is one of those things is when you when you when you kind of when you when you uh, when you drink from the fountain of knowledge seeking, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you taste the how mm -hmm. good it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it makes sense that you really get heavily engaged in your you know, liking, yeah. sharing. You're basically taking the knowledge that you get from the channel, and then you're going yes. and telling your friends and yeah. getting them to watch it. And we're seeing, um, I haven't actually looked at like very broadly this trend, but at least for us on our media channels and like some of the others that we've looked at, for science channels, their engagement is very high in the sharing. So this has a lot about people that care about science. They want, yeah. when they learn, they want someone else to know what they learn. Yeah. They're happy that they learned it and they want someone else to know. So instead of trolling and being angry on the internet, they're actually learning and then sharing it. So for us, it's almost 50%. Like if someone likes and views our content, 50% of the time they share it. That's huge. And whether that's sharing it, you know, 13,000 times on one post or, you know, just 100, it's still, it seems like it's fairly 50-50. Yeah. So I think um, these are behavior sets and, and things that studio networks have not really identified or taken advantage of yet. Yeah. Yeah, when you're watching it on the TV, there's no you know share button to your yeah. uh, to to distribute to your networks, and um, these are these are massively important realizations about about science. And this is the optimism. This is where a lot of the you know the optimism for what we have as potential. Um, okay, so 
five years now of this. So after this competition, mm -hmm. you're like, I'm going to go and make the film festival happen. I'm going to also go and travel and do all these insa your insatiable curiosity, getting all the, the mm -hmm. interviews and, and science as well. Yeah. yeah, so tell us about this process. I think it's fascinating to learn about this from you because you work very very hard in order to be able to make the film festivals happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for your help. And everyone else that has helped yeah, me. Everyone else has helped. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Please teach us about what the operations are like to actually execute this. This is a big deal. You're sourcing lots of different films from around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, lots of people start things all the time and it's grunt work and, you know, we're like have our nose to the grindstone every day. But yeah, it's basically, um, the, I'd like to give out a shout out to Mitchell Block who helped, um, he, he kind of sparked the inspiration for starting a festival. He's a, a producer and someone that I hired for the channel when I started it. Um, and he came, he came up with the idea, like, why don't you start this festival? And it's really special that he did that because um, he was there in the early days of the starting of Sundance. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was really nice. And no, but okay. yeah, but we do have more cool images to cycle through right now. This is a good time yeah. for the other ones, Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to give him a shout out for like helping spark the inspiration to start the festival, and then um, yeah, we you know just have a slew of volunteers. To be honest, it's hard, but you know the hardest part is is really just like little logistics when you're not a very large team and, and doing all that. But in in all things considered, you know with anything these days, we can we have so much ability to do more because of of um, apps and like shared distributed work services so it's not so bad and then what how, how did you even figure out you know who were the right you know films to go out and seek and then how did you figure out what awards to be yeah. giving to the films this is all very cool yeah so when we started um, in terms of the juried films it was somewhat simple it's like okay well the formats are different online than they are in theaters so let's have awards that have a combination of both you know short less than 10 minutes over feature length you know documentary or narrative animation you know that that was put into place but then we created like really fun innovative awards that are for elements of films particularly sci-fi that are not currently recognized and they should be so one example um and I'll we have the image too of the kip. Yeah, we'll get. We'll. I'll, I'll start with actually. Maybe I should um, first explain about this image and the next in terms of the academy. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. then we'll go back to that topic because of. Okay. Yeah. Is Sounds that okay? Good. Yeah. Okay. So so um, getting. We'll go. We'll we'll discuss that award in a second. But so this is United Artists Theater. This past January, we just had our festival there in LA. It was our fifth year, and it takes five years to be an Academy qualifying festival. And then you go through the formal process of uh, being approved, which means in the future, if we get that approval, then um, we will be qualifiers for the Academy Awards. And if someone wins an award at our event, then it can be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And that was a really important part of keeping science and science media elevated year after year after year. Yep. And so it was really special that we had it in this theater um, as our qualifying year because um, the next image is the United Artists Theater back in the day. Oh, the, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was that theater was created by Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, and several others. 
that were key founding members of the Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences, which is behind the Academy Awards. And it's kind of a beautiful thing because that's arts and sciences. They are focused on the technology that enables us to tell stories. And, and they created that theater. So it was like super poignant and sweet for us to be there that year. So then getting back to the awards, um, I think KIPP is the next one, Yeah, right? KIPP is, yeah. yeah KIPP so is the this next is an one. example, and, and this was like a really special moment um, for us because actually there are two awards represented in that picture. On the left is Kip Thorne, um, the famous astrophysicist and uh, also filmmaker. He's behind Interstellar and, and other things. Um, we have an award in his name, the Kip Thorne Gravity Award for Best Depiction of a Scientific Principle. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's for um, how gravity was depicted in Interstellar. And it was a really novel way to like, show people that phenomenon. Um, and so we give that out every year in his name now to different films that, um, that depict that. And then it's the other person in the, in the photo is Stephen Wolfram, founder of Wolfram Alpha. And he has an award in his name as well that is the Wolfram Award for Best Technical Advisor. Mm -hmm. So we have all these films and organizations like the Science and Entertainment Exchange that work to make sure that um, Hollywood has science right. But we don't really recognize the minds that are doing that. And in this case, uh, Stephen Wolfram created the language in the movie Arrival. Mm -hmm. So he won it for that the first year and then we've given it yeah. to others so. yeah yeah the make sure hollywood has science right this yeah. is so so cool and important and yeah yeah it is really a process of, of hacking hollywood it's so interesting you're hacking getting hollywood. you're really getting in from um this is so cool after five years you become eligible for academy awards qualification which is yep. so huge yep. that's t elevating it taking it up to the yes. next stage and i love these like kip thorne's gravity award for best depiction of scientific principle these are very interesting ways to to get people to think about how do I embed scientific principles into film? Yes, um, and before that one, we, the, we've also created like workshops so that scientists and, um, and people in the entertain, entertainment industry can collaborate and they can learn what are the challenges and how one would go about to tell their story. Yeah. And a lot of those workshops are actually like led by scientists who figured out you know, how, how to tell their stories. And so, um, this, the next year, in addition to all of that, we're, we're adding a, a science media marketplace. So we're, we're going to do the festival in LA and um, should be formally announced soon in Costa Rica. Um, so we'll start in LA and fly to Costa Rica. And the idea is to create an international marketplace, just like you'd see in, in the Cannes Film Festival or Venice or Berlin, where they have marketplaces, but specific to science media, whether it's documentary, animation, you know. Yeah anything where people can buy and sell their media and services. So we kind of have to go hack it in many yeah. realms. Yeah, yeah. So. And then the, in the second image was Kip Thorne, the one where he was, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is- um, And one back. One back, yeah. Yeah. This is a really nice story. That's um, Radea Jagatheven, who is a, was a young student from Western Australia, mm. and he won our first youth award for filmmaking for a film called Journey. Mm. And it's really beautiful because Kip Thorne comes to our event every year for his, related to his award, and um, Rodeo was actually inspired by Kip Thorne and the Gravitational Center Sweet. in Australia. So he won the award, and we flew him out to LA, and he was able to meet Kip. Um, and then, of course, you know, a year later, Kip won the Nobel Prize for discovering gravity waves. So, awesome. so it's just a nice way that everything is connected. Yeah, yeah. 
And then also, I want to um, mention that you know, as uh, we're gonna, uh, we're about to get into some of the <clears throat> some of the other influence that raw science has had in a, in a moment. I want to mention some of the profound films that have actually been. Um, uh, uh, have went through the Raw Science Film Festival and specifically over the last two years, you know, the, the f in the first year you had Internet's own boy, yes, Aaron Schwartz, mm -hmm. and um, teach us about, about that one. Yeah, that, that our first year that was one of, of the winners and that is a documentary film that in really our, our mission is to tell the stories of science and engage people. And that story is a really important one about open source data and information. Yeah. And Aaron, Aaron Schwartz was an advocate of those things and was, um, he was, he, he, he had hacked uh, an academic publication um, organization out of, I think it was MIT, and he downloaded many, many scientific journals. And he ended up being, um, having s many felony counts against him and was facing 35 years in prison or million and millions of dollars worth yeah. of fines. So um, he, he sadly eventually committed suicide, I think at like 26. Yeah. And the film chronicles all of that. But it's a really poignant and important story about open source data. Yes. And um, now, m five years later, the Europe is, is creating the open cloud. Yeah, that's very interesting. And the and, and and it's interesting because the the internet came about originally with CERN and the scientists that were collaborating around the world at all these different places to share their information and data, you know, for the discoveries related to CERN. And um, so five years later, it's pretty pretty cool that they're opening their science. We, we've had a lot of conversations about open notebook science on the show, and I'm really looking forward to what this next iteration is of collaborative science, pushing the edge of knowledge, making it relatable mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. film and through other multimedia content to the, to the mm -hmm. general public to get them engaged and inspired. Yep. The other really powerful ones, um, the last two years that I've attended, I've gotten to see unrest on chronic fatigue syndrome, which is yep. very interesting, and then burden of genius, um, which I don't think any other uh, scientific film has even maybe necessarily made as profound of a impact on my life. Unrest is actually is, is really crazy when you actually get behind of other humans, behind the eyes of humans that experience chronic fatigue syndrome and what they actually go through. Yeah. Um, and on Burden of Genius, very similarly, you're trying to get behind the eyes of people like Dr. Thomas Starsell, yeah. um, um, father of organ transplantation, and the amount of work that goes into innovation when you're uh, Copernicus basically and you're saying we can do this this is the truth we we know we can do this people are, you can't do it it's gonna you're gonna kill people etc and, mm -hmm. and you know Wright brothers but you know it's just see these these in um, have happened throughout history these yes. people that have taken a big burden yep. yeah and mm -hmm. I think that was really profound I was crying Yes, yeah. I can actually um, share information about original content we're creating that relates yes. to the director of burden of genius um, Chartist. So yeah, he, he has a gift at telling these stories of, of heroes of science that are, are making their way um, through it all. And so s since the last festival, we're now working with him to bring to life the biopic of Jonas Salk. Now he had already directed um, a documentary feature length that was on the BBC called The Shot Heard Around the World about the development of the um, polio vaccine. 
and now has written and will be bringing to life the um, film. It's, it's going to be called The Shot, and it is um, it is is a biopic of of Jonas Salk and that same burden that he carried to bring the polio vaccine yeah. to life. And um, it looks like a, it'll be a pretty incredible film. Yes. Kind of kind of like an I imitation game type feature length theatrical release is the intention. Yeah, and this kind of, this leads us into um, a lot of the original content creation that you're up to with Raw Science TV. Yeah. So yeah, so speak to us about this. This is another one of those ways to engage and inspire. Yeah, so we, the platform, so we're launching what's basically like a Netflix for science and tech films. Um, and with better storytelling. With better storytelling. Yeah. So we will really, really tell the stories of science. And so in addition to licensing and bringing in and distributing that content, we are also creating original content. And that's one example. Another one I'm working with, um, a filmmaker named Austin, who is out of Nigeria. He's a comic who wrote something called Under the Sun. And it's a geopolitical sci-fi thriller about an island, it's, it's based off a real life island off the coast of Tanzania where people that have albinism are living because right now across the continent, people, um, albino people are hunted like mm. for like their limbs and their lives because people believe there is voodoo magic about them. So we're, uh, he created this comic called Under the Sun about a superhero island of albino people who um, are involved in a coup to overthrow the government, which they escape. And it's very lighthearted. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's like in the theme, it's like in the line, you know, along the lines of Beast of No Nation kind of film. And uh, we, will, we will be bringing that to life as well. Is this happening right now in terms of uh, that yes. issue with Alpine? Oh yeah, it's happening. Yeah. Um, in fact, um, the, there's a woman who is, an independent expert on these huntings and human rights with United Nations who herself um, has albinism and she is an official consultant on the project and it's happening all over oh currently today goodness. yes that's why there's an island for real yeah yeah these untold stories of science and doing it in a really powerful way to get yeah. people to realize it's very subtle, this one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, con contemporary archaeology and anthropology in general is such a fascinating field because we're, there's so many things happening on the planet mm -hmm. that we're basically not able to document on time. Yes. And it would be very, it's very important to make these places safe for people to come and document what's actually happening and make the scientific content. Yeah, and, and in terms of making things accessible to people and like cross-collaborating and the internet, I never, I have never met the comic who created that comic. I know him from Facebook and the Silicon Valley Africa group. And he's getting great traction on the project. It's, it, you know, it's really resonating with people. And, um, and ended up collaborating and, and, and starting to create this. So the idea that anyone, anywhere, you know, we can all, we can all collaborate and, and build things. Yep, yep. And change that We're, we're really excited for your, um, the original content that comes through um, Raw Science. And, and we hope that everyone will, will check it out. Check out the link below and get and get signed up for um, subscribe to be able to check out what comes on to the raw science platform. These are going to be some of the best stories that are told. We're really excited for that. 
And I want, this part's also very, very important. The first high-tech engineering school in Afghanistan. And oh, we have yeah. this great image of the, of the girls from the first robotics team yes. with Roy and Boob here and yeah. you, Carrie, as well. Yep. Yes, this is, this is such a, um, you know, an awareness expanding moment when you can see um, young women from around the world getting engaged yeah. in science and technology. Yes. Yeah, they definitely inspired us and it seems anyone they come across, it's an amazing group of young people. Um, we, we learned about them um, in 2017 and extended an invitation to join the festival because what they're doing is, is exactly what we want to promote. Um, I was inspired by a 2013 U.S. State Department report that showed um, one of the most transformative things that can be done in the world is to educate young girls and women about science and technology in places where they currently are not encouraged. And um, so that, that's an important um, thing to me. So when I learned about them, I was very inspired by what they were doing and reached out and invited them to the festival. We, sp we sponsored them to come. Um, it, was, it was a huge learning experience for all of us, yeah. you know, to see, especially when there is a language barrier, like we talked about at the very beginning, how science is a universal language. Yeah. The girls didn't need to know how to speak to us and vice versa. Everybody got it. And, um, you know, all the cultural barriers just dissolve. You know, they, they kept their culture, we kept our culture, but everybody was able to, you know, appreciate and interact and, like, do positive things um, as a result of that. So, uh, since then, um, we have partnered with Digital Citizens Fund that's run by Roya Mabub, and um, that's an incredible organization, and, and she is incredible as well. And we are working with the government of Afghanistan to, to build the first high-tech university in, in Afghanistan. So, that's pretty exciting. And that's an engineering focus and also entrepreneurship too? It's engineering and entrepreneurship and um, the vi one of the visions is that instead of like where you, you know, no offense to the organizations that focus on coding or one specific thing, the idea is to really um, have a very broad b yet specific focus on things like um, new, new uh, technologies that will be the economies of the future. Yes. Um, blockchain, robotics, um, AI. And focus on those, focus on very early, identify the, you know, uh, and inspire talented students early. And then also bring in the arts and element of STEAM into it as well. Yeah, especially for storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling. Yeah, so I know there's the Afghan girls robot team. They also have an animation team. You yeah. know, they have all, all different talents and things they're cultivating. And um, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, this is the type of stuff that gets me to to get me to get that gets me to realize that we can have pockets of, of young people around the world that are then having this universal language of yeah. science and yeah yeah and media too. I mean, you know, I have to admit I was ignorant of Afghan culture and of Afghan people. I didn't know. I don't think I knew any Afghan people or Afghan Americans, and we only see certain things from the news or from media. And it was it was hugely yeah. important and illuminating to you know meet people to face to face and like step outside of those things. And we we noticed that a lot of the feedback that we got after the team came and it was like very celebratory. Everyone was so positive. You know the feedback we got online regarding that was was really incredible. And you know educated smart people were like, 
hey, we didn't really realize this before. And it has made us realize that the people in Afghanistan are our brothers and sisters. Yes. And we share the same dreams. Yes. We all want like similar things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really nice. One, one definitely needs a pendulum swing into the direction of, of uh, melting pot culture, metropolitan yeah. culture, where you see people of all different walks of life yeah. from all different places of the world and how the peace and dignity and happiness yes. and prosperity, they're such similar uh, passions. Yes. Ron does a good amount of work with uh, Afghan TV himself. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. So he, uh, and he and yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so he's also been pushing, he's been pr um, passing along some of the good cultural vibes to. Yeah, we to captured uh, Sadiq Shabab yeah. and uh, San Leandro. Uh, he's a superstar in uh, Afghani. We had a concert there that we did our best. We were. Yeah, within well, budget. and there was like, you know, there's like, you know, 500 people, their families, you know, the young, um, you, you, like young boys and girls with their parents mm -hmm. and their grandparents are all yes. attending. You know what I mean? So you mm -hmm. see a completely different aspect. Like where, where do you see, you know, Americans going with their parents and grandparents to uh, mm -hmm. like a, like an event. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, to go and hang out together and dance and, right. and sing and, and yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a it was a very profound awakening in that sense. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, a couple um, thoughts on the way out. I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts about this on a you know on a large scale perspective. It seems as though you know with eight billion humans and exponential technology, you know you gave some of these focuses of blockchain and robotics and AI mm -hmm. and inspiring that around the world in these pockets. Um, is that, would you say that that then is probably some of these main focuses for young people as we go into, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's, it's um, great timing. Yesterday was the 500th year anniversary of Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci's birth. Okay. And Leonardo da Vinci was an illegitimate child who was not allowed to go to school. And um, hence he was, it's like we, we all face adversity as you said and, and it's, a it's a curse but a blessing. So Leonardo da Vinci, because he was not allowed to go to school and he was not accepted in the regular professions that a person might have, yeah. he was allowed to explore everything he wanted, every curiosity that he had. He was allowed to in, indulge and explore. And he had the patronage of uh, Lorenzo de' Medici, which was yes. one of the reasons why he could do this. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he definitely, he definitely had some help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he was actually unable to go to school. That's why As he a young was. Person. That's, he was yeah, illegitimate. Illegitimate, and that was. What's that mean for when someone is like? He was born out of wedlock. Oh, born out of wedlock. Yeah. And then they don't let you go to school. Yeah, it's weird. And then. Yeah. You know, we see many, um, I actually gave a, a talk about this in Dublin two years ago, but, um, you know, Steve Jobs is the same thing. He was, he was not illegitimate, but he, he was an orphaned child who was adopted. And um, we, we, we see genius everywhere, yeah. but there are a lot of people around the world that are not allowed to express it or yes. investigate it. And so, yes, that is a big, big goal and long-term picture is that the principles of science and the love of it can be something that anyone who wants to can, can indulge. And right now, you know, in, in a lot of places in the world, like 
when, when a student learns about science, it's to save their life. It shouldn't be to save their life. It should be be driven by curiosity, curiosity and awe. And awe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the genius is, is, is in the creative potential of all the minds on the planet. And it's yeah. just the, un, the unlocking algorithm comes from the basic needs being met and yes. then the, yeah. um, the flourishing of the, of the full creative potential of the seed. And, and, and we see that happening, like you said, around the world in so many different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. This is super fun, Carrie. I want to ask you a couple questions that we ask on the show. Okay. Okay. Um, our first question is, are we alone in the cosmos? I, d I definitely think we are not alone in the cosmos. I mean, we, life, it seems to be a byproduct of like chemistry and physical laws that would be everywhere. So definitely think we're not alone in the universe. And what do you think exists outside the 3D reality that we live in here? Outside the 3D reality? Um, I don't know. Is that is that the simulation question? <laughs> <laughs> Are we, what do you think? Do you think we're in a simulation? Um, I mean, I would think, I would tend to think so because it seems like there are like limited units of measure on about everything. There are limits. And just the other day I was reading something about time being discrete instead of continuous and why Santa Fe Institute has doing research about why time is discrete. I'm like, oh great, if time is discrete, that's totally a simulation. <laughs> I mean time being discrete. Yeah. So instead of being like a continuous flow, like our own consciousness, we have a sample rate. I'm like, does that mean there's like a sample rate of our existence instead of it just being continuous? Well, that that kind of seems like some simulation material, but like time adjusts based on how much stimuli we take in? No, just like that it's like it's like like discrete like it's not a oh it's not a flow. flow oh it's like a moment to a hard yeah. moment to a hard moment yeah that's something that Santa Fe Institute is researching right now and has like but down to like a nanosecond like or something some yeah I don't I don't have to look into it more but I was I was reading up on it and thinking well that's just just great <laughs> it's like is that a little simulation-esque for you well or? it seems like yeah it, it's basically seems like we're getting down to like maximum resolution <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but anyway um I, I would hope it's not i certainly don't know the answer obviously like but i hope that it's not but it kind of feels like it is <laughs> yeah and carrie our last question for you is what is the most beautiful thing in the world what is the most beautiful thing in the world <sighs> um i would say like unapologetic self-expression mm. that is emotionally intelligent. Mm. Yeah, unapologetic expression that is emotionally intelligent. That's a great one. Why'd you say that one? Because, um, like it, because I think one of the most important things for humans is to have agency and to be able to express themselves. But when we express ourselves, we can also like harm people. So I think that people who have a balance between that are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. One, one that knows how to express oneself 
plus do it in an emotionally intelligent way to not harm other people, but to have a growing experience amongst yep. people. Exactly. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've, I've slowly been trying to get better and better <laughs> at that over time. It's a very good skill to, very good skill to, yeah. to learn. Yeah, people that have it are really wise. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And they're vulnerable. Yep. They, they know how to how to say I'm, I'm wrong I'm learning yep. um, yeah this, this type they have of humility words. humility yeah 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 Carrie thank you so much for coming on our show and inspiring us and teaching us about raw science thank you, you. Are a rock star we love thank you, you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you and huge thank you for everyone for tuning in we greatly appreciate it we would love to hear your thoughts in the comments below and go and share this messaging about raw science, raw science film festival, raw science TV. The links are below. Go and get more people talking about science and technology and inspiring more films to be created around the world, unlocking the creative potential of every person around the world. And huge shout out to Ron Vogus, our producer and director. Thank you very much. Support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. Simulations links are below as well. Help us grow, help us stay afloat and prosper as well. Support the artists and entrepreneurs in your communities too. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you soon. Peace. <laughs>